Hello and welcome to Angular Rocks, podcast for those who want to know more about Angular. I am Alexey Kuntsevich. Today we will be talking about Angular history, and I am very excited to introduce our very, very special guest. I'm so excited to have him here on the show. I'm talking about Mishka Havery, the creator of Angular. Everyone in the Angular community knows and respects him a lot. Hello, Mishka. Thank you for such a warm welcome. I appreciate it. It is great to have you on the show. Can you tell a few words about yourself? Oh, yes. So, yeah, I am the guy who is known as uh, the person behind AngularJS. Um, I started with computers a long time ago uh, when I was, I think, in the fourth grade or something like that. And I just enjoyed playing with them ever since. Um, you know, I wish I could say that AngularJS just came out of nowhere and it was just written. But reality is that you have lots of other things that are similar to it that you try and you fail and do it over and over again. So it, it's a long journey to, to come here. So if people think that you just magically pull a um, rabbit out of a hat, it doesn't quite work that way. Yes, exactly. I believe you are solving a lot of important problems on this way. And I hope we can touch on some of these points today. Can you remember how you originally come up with this awesome idea and what year was that? Yes. So the whole thing started... Um, Let's see, my oldest son was born in 2010. And so the whole thing started, I think, a year or two before then. So like 2008, I think would be the correct time frame. Mm -hmm. And the basic thing that kind of motivated me is that I noticed that whenever you build web applications, you know, you have to repeat yourself over and over again. What I mean by repeat I, I, is that every time you started a new web application, right, like the same set of problems have to be solved again and again and again. And at some point, you just start wondering, like, could we, like, put all of this into a common library and reuse it. Now, specifically for Angular, I was actually interested in solving the, the problem of how can I get developers that are maybe not the, they don't know how to code, how can they contribute and build a website? So the original idea behind Angular was how do we make something which non-developers can uh, build web apps? And I don't mean like general purpose web apps as Angular is today. I really, my goal was really just it to do simple things like can you do basic calendar scheduling or a um, sign-in or contacts form that can be filled in on the website with somebody who doesn't know how to code. Um, the, the fancy framework part really came later after that. Uh, you mean people like designers, for example, people who not really contributing into code base, yeah. and so they able to build something simple by themselves without relying on developers, right? Yeah, so the idea was to allow you to build just something super simple. Mm -hmm. um, the goal was to for really for non-developers, so anybody who maybe isn't familiar with um, coding or, or you know, basics of you know, for loops, if statements, and so on and so forth. And the idea was that you would just uh, sprinkle extra tags into HTML because HTML is kind of pretty straightforward to learn. It's declarative, so you don't really have to know for loops or if statements or anything like that. And the idea was like, well, if you could just, uh, if HTML would just be have more attributes, a better vocabulary, right? Um, you could build very simple, trivial applications with it. And that was kind of the impetus behind AngularJS. It later uh, morphed into a general purpose framework, but that was not the original idea. The original idea was really this combination of, of uh, extra tags you would drop onto your HTML and also a backend service that 
in very many ways kind of looked like today's Firebase. You know, the idea would be that you just have a database in the cloud. You don't have to manage anything. It's just available to you. All you really get is some kind of a API key that you dropped into your HTML and then the backend without you having to worry about it. Can you remember what were the major challenges that you faced solving all these problems? Yeah. So the thing I realized, uh, maybe originally I started this for non-developers, but very, what very quickly became obvious is that even, even if you didn't have to write code uh, for Angular, you still had to understand concepts like, well, I have to take my data model and I have to decompose it into primary keys and foreign keys, and there's some relationship between data and so on and so forth. Things that we kind of take for granted as developers. Like, of course, you have to do this with data. You can't just like magically have a, you know, if you have something like an invoice, you you need to break this down into a list of uh, items, a list of line items, an invoice, and there's a relationship saying like, oh, you are purchasing, you know, in this invoice, you're purchasing these items at these quantities and at these prices, right? And so because you need to do kind of what I would say programming skills, it turns out that non-programming people, not pro- non- non-developers basically lack the skills. And so they were having really hard time with these high concepts of like, um, you know, how do you decompose your data into a state that, that's familiar? So that was the kind of the biggest challenge. And this is kind of the reasoning why Angular kind of morphed from this general purpose, you know, non-developers to mm-hmm. actually focusing on developers themselves. The thing that I realized was the, the declarative nature of it, the, the fact that you could just drop a whole bunch of tags into HTML and all of a sudden magic happens. That portion became um, very useful and popular. And this is what uh, developers liked. And so even though originally this was not meant for the developers, it kind of morphed into this uh, project as we know it today. It seems like originally you were working on this project just by yourself. Uh, Please correct me if I'm wrong. However, when did you realize that you might actually need to build the whole team around it? Actually, I started with another uh, friend of mine, uh, Mm -hmm. Adam Abrams. Uh, We worked on it together. He was more of a kind of a back-end person, and I was more of the front-end person behind it. Um, What happened was that during my, uh, you know, this was kind of like a free 20% project that I was kind of doing on a side. And uh, at work, I kind of realized that, hey, this idea of declarative templates um, that can be extended is actually useful for general purpose development of code. And so um, at work, we were building something with GWT. And so I said, like, hey, you know, like this GWT thing seems like a lot of work. Like I could do most of this with my side project I'm building over here. Um, Are you interested? And you know, people kind of took notice. And so when I kind of threw this in and I said, look, I can replace all this, you know, hundreds of lines of code of grid with like just a few lines of Angular, um, people started paying attention. And this is the time when kind of Google said like, hey, why don't you just kind of work on this full time? Because it seems like it's directly useful to us. It was really only much, much later when this thing morphed into kind of a full on open source project where the sole purpose was to to kind of build a framework. Um, I remember uh, my first experience with Angular from 2011 and 2012. I was a .NET developer back in the days, and I wasn't being built in actually single-page applications. 
we were dealing with uh, server-side rendering, ASP.NET MVC and ASP.NET, you know, all these things. And some people decided, oh, okay, let's use Angular. And so we, we were using Angular only for a purpose of two-way data binding. That was a great uh, benefit uh, in these sort of scenarios. You put all these mm -hmm. factories, everything like, you know, it was a little bit of boilerplate, but it was beneficial because I cannot remember anything like that was existed back in time unless uh, React started to pop in and what else? Was it... Um, Knockout and what was there? Uh, there is something else. Backbone. Ah, exactly. And then in a couple of years later, some news coming from Google. Hey, we like working on the new Angular version. And it was, it wasn't much uh, information there until it's actually became visible and the code to appear on GitHub. You started to ship these alpha versions and then beta versions and LCs. And so my question here, when did you realize that Angular one, codename AngularJS, should be rewritten from scratch and why? Mm -hmm. So, you know, AngularJS really was written for the purposes I said for this kind of a general purpose framework, not framework, uh, way of building apps. It wasn't really meant to be a framework. And I think the other part is that I, when I wrote AngularJS, um, I didn't really know JavaScript and I didn't know the different trade-offs that we were making. And so AngularJS ended up having certain properties that actually made it hard to integrate it with large-scale uh, systems at Google. Mainly that a lot of stuff in Angular was highly dynamic. And as a result, it was difficult to, to put type information around it. You know, this was even before times of TypeScript. Google had this thing called Closure Compiler, and so they had internal types. And Angular JS applications were extremely difficult to type. And there was a lot of type uh, unsafety in there, right? So there was easy to do things that were type unsafe. And you just kind of have to know that, oh, this thing has to match this thing. The other thing that was a big issue with AngularJS applications is that we couldn't really run them through minifiers. Um, a closure compiler likes to rename properties. And if it did that, it would break Angular because the properties uh, were then read and kind of evaled inside of the templates themselves. And so these were the kind of the main driving forces is that, yes, AngularJS was uh, highly popular, both externally and internally at Google. But large teams were running into problems because they couldn't put sufficient amount of type information or type safety around it, and they couldn't fully minify it because minification would break the mm -hmm. runtime uh, behavior of the of the application. And so those two things were kind of the impetus behind why we said, "Hey, you know, let's let's uh, let's redo this uh, and and let's take into something uh, that was becoming popular at the time, which was TypeScript." Use TypeScript as a proper type system and focus on, you know, building it in such a way so that this can be fully minified and it wouldn't uh, break any of the existing apps in the process of minification. So these were the constraints that, like, fundamentally, I didn't really understand when AngularJS came to be. Uh, and these are the constraints that we wanted to incorporate inside of what, Angular 2, which later just became Angular. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned you picked a TypeScript to be a primary language for Angular. However, I know that Google was trying to solve similar problem TypeScript solving. They were having this language called AdScript. That's my fault. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So Google has Clojure Compiler, which is, you know, at this point, probably 20 plus years old technology. But Clojure Compiler requires you to place comments in, uh, rather, place the types in comments. And then the verifier is, you know, it basically has a lot of craft because of it's, it's so old and it has gone through so many iterations. At the time when we started this, there was no TypeScript. Uh, TypeScript was just kind of coming into the, the place and so we actually weren't aware of TypeScript, uh, but we needed a better type system. Do you remember the year? Oh, I don't remember. You're, you're asking uh, hard questions. <laughs> uh, we can look that up. I, I don't remember off the top of my head. All right. All right. That's fine. <laughs> no um, problems. So, so one idea was like, well, could we just have something? Um, the, the idea of ad script was, hey, you know, type systems are hard and we don't really want to build a full type system. But we want some runtime safety. So could we like put some kind of uh, runtime type information in the system and have assert statements that would verify like, oh, I'm expecting a string and it is actually a string. And the other thing that AdScript was supposed to solve is that we needed annotations to make it more declarative. Now, it turns out that the TypeScript team kind of reached out to us and said, hey, you know, what you're building looks awfully like, like TypeScript. Do you just want to collaborate and... Uh, this was great on their part, and I'm so thankful they did. And yes, we, we said, yes, let's collaborate. Like, this is silly. Why should we you know, build something competitive? So let's just reuse what you have. And so we put our kind of um, effort behind TypeScript. And I think in a lot of ways, TypeScript became super popular uh, right about the time as Angular 2 happened. And so one could argue that you know it, it had something to do with it. Uh, mm-hmm. I think TypeScript was a great choice. Um, there is, I can't imagine writing JavaScript these days without TypeScript. The type system is amazingly popular uh, and it's amazingly expressive. I think the unique thing about the TypeScript team is that instead of saying like, let's invent a language in kind of vacuum and see if you like it, they instead did it the other way around. They said, let's look at how people use JavaScript. Let's see our existing libraries like jQuery and let's see what is the usage of it? And then let's see if we can create types around it that reflect the usage. So they didn't create a type system in kind of vacuum and said, hey, this is what we created. See if you can use it. They instead went and looked at how the JavaScript ecosystem actually works, what kind of patterns they people have in, in the JavaScript ecosystem, and then said, can we put types around it? Can we make it so that you don't have to change anything about jQuery? You can just add a DTS file to it and all of a sudden you have all the type safety you need without having to rewrite or like refactor or do anything to jQuery, right? And I think this is a very, very important insight because it so often happens that people think they can build something better and they do it in a vacuum and essentially they they become a tech island, right? They become this little island saying like, hey, if everything works like this, then it's nice, but that's not how the existing world works. And so, yeah, you can laugh at the existing world and say, yeah, it's broken in all these ways. And, you know, you can say, like, JavaScript sucks in all these ways. All true. It makes for great WAT videos, right? But at the end of the day, it's the language we have. And so instead of, you know, complaining about all the things that are broken, you can just learn to kind of work around these issues and just move on. And, you know, I always say, like, the reason why apps are hard to build is because we have the wrong abstractions. It is not because we have the wrong language. Like, yes, again, JavaScript has many, many issues, and I'm not saying it's a perfect language, right? But it's not the reason why we are struggling with web apps. 
it, JavaScript is never the reason or the, the thing that's preventing us from getting our job done. It's always that we have the wrong abstractions, we're looking at it the wrong way, we are not thinking about the problem the right way. And so I think any time we get into this world of like, oh, if we can only replace a language, you know, everything will be fine. Uh, it isn't, and like we have tried it many, many, many times before, and it has always uh, failed. And I think the only uniqueness here is TypeScript, and the reason for it is because TypeScript was not trying to replace uh, JavaScript. It, it embraced it and said, let's just see how people use it and let us add type systems. So I think the TypeScript team did a wonderful, wonderful job. And I think the ecosystem um, appreciates that. And this is why it is so amazingly popular today. You just mentioned annotations that are a decorators in TypeScript, right? That is something the TypeScript team originally had to implement for Google. However, I know the TypeScript custom decorators are not allowed according with the Google mm -hmm. TypeScript style guide. I, I, I think we're mixing a couple of things. So, uh, yes, we needed uh, type annotations and um, uh, we went to TypeScript team and TypeScript team was nice enough to implement it and add it to their language. Uh, and, you know, it's super helpful, super useful. Then uh, came the standardization process. And in a standardization process, you know, you have a different set of people looking at it. And the concern behind the standardization process was around performance and whether VMs can optimize this stuff uh, and make it fast and sufficiently, you know, powerful enough. And so now you're kind of talking about a different set of kind of people who, who discuss this. The other thing about annotations is... Um, that annotations by their very nature have global side effects. Well, let me back up a second. Uh, JavaScript doesn't have annotations. JavaScript has uh, decorators. Decorators by their very nature have global side effects. The thing that we originally wanted were annotations and annotations have no side effect, right? It's just metadata attached to, to code. So what happened was we asked for annotations we got decorators and then the VMs were like, wait a minute, this has global uh, side effects. This might be problematic. I'm not sure we want to implement it in the current state. So that's kind of the back and forth that um, has gone through. You know, it's easy to uh, simplify the problem and be like, oh yeah, you asked for this and then now is you know, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. But I think it's oversimplification. Like you have to look at it and like, uh, what actually was asked for, what kind of compromises right. happened, and what were the kind of historical context by which this particular thing um, has, has, was, was done. Sorry, a little side note. Like It's so common to, for people to kind of jump into conclusions and make particular statements without understanding the, the full context of things and the full context of history. And history is always interesting because... You know, you're going through something in the history and you realize that every single step along the way makes total sense, but you end up in a suboptimal solution, a suboptimal outcome. And it's actually quite common. And it is way too easy to then, you know, sit after the fact and say like, oh, yeah, I should have told you I would have done differently, whatever. Right. It, the world just doesn't work that way. You have to really look at it like, what did you know at the time when the decision was made? You know, was it an optimal decision given what, what you knew at the time? You know, over time, you learn, you learn new things and, you know, you, you get smarter. Uh, and also you have to understand that, like, sometimes the these decisions aren't obvious or the consequences of these decisions aren't obvious until way, way later. Um, and the other thing to kind of understand is that, you know, you can make 
things that are optimal decisions at every step of the way. And somehow at the end, you end up on a suboptimal global decision because, you know, again, it's hard to predict these things. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah. that's just my little side note. <laughs> yeah, you never know, right? <laughs> you never know, yeah. Yeah. What did you learn working on Angular together with other people, solving all these complex problems on the way? Yeah, uh, Angular, I think part of its popularity is that we have tried hard to include the uh, external ecosystem, right, uh, community. Uh, I think most of the credit for the external community should go to Igor. Uh, Igor has tried super, super hard to make sure that the community is included, that they're part of it, that you know their voice is heard, and so on. And I think it paid dividend, right? It became, uh, you know, the community we have is super, super popular. The other thing is the, we always try to set the community to be positive. Um, we, you know, we try to focus on the positive things, the good things, and, and so on and so forth, rather than pointing out the fault or, or, or shortcomings of other frameworks. I think that's just unhelpful. Um, and so I think we have a pretty good culture going on with the Angular community. Oh, absolutely. The Angular community is one of the greatest parts of Angular. I think we already touched a little bit about the common AngularJS issues, Angular version 1 issues, that inspired the decision of the complete rewrite. However, speaking about the latest Angular, how does it help Google to scale? Yeah, I think the big difference is that we focused on... Um, having type information from the beginning, right? Angular itself was written in a type language versus AngularJS was written just in pure JavaScript and the type information was kind of an after, grafted after the fact. Uh, and I think that that's kind of the big thing. The other thing that the Angular tries to focus on is, you know, how can you separate things out? How can you separate out the template from the component, from the expressions and so on, so that you can have a lot of people collaborating on your particular project? I think Angular is a lot more component-centric than AngularJS. And AngularJS components were kind of an afterthought that got added, you know, later in the in 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 its you know life. Whereas with Angular it, two, you know, components were kind of essential to it. And I remember when we were looking at Angular two, we actually spent a lot of time thinking whether we should go the web component route uh, or standards, etc., versus just um, doing it ourselves. We ended up doing it ourselves. There's a complicated set of reasons why I think that was the right choice. Um, and, and we ended up where we are. On your opinion, what are the benefits of Angular in comparison to other modern front-end frameworks? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I think um, we like to say that Angular is batteries included. Uh, meaning that we really thought about the whole thing end-to-end. -end. So when you start using Angular, right, you have all the pieces in there. You have routing, you have internationalization, you have animations, localizations. Like all those pieces are kind of built in and made sure that they work together. Oftentimes when you use other frameworks, you have to figure out, like, you know, it's an easy start, but then you need to internationalize, internationalize your application. You know, how do you do that? And, you know, there's different levels of internationalization. You can do anything from simple, like, oh, let me just translate a string to complicated ICUs, which is this idea that, like, you say you have five emails, right, versus zero emails, but you don't say, or, or one email singular, right? And so you have to, like, change the, the wording and in different languages, you know, in English has only singular plural, but there's other languages that actually have, like, singular and, like, few and many and then a lot, right? <laughs> 
And so you, you have to do a lot more complicated things. So this is an example of what's known as the ICU. And it's, it might be difficult to integrate such things to other frameworks. Uh, animation is another example, uh, which is kind of built in and, and so on. So when you kind of choose Angular, you know that all of these particular things have been thought of, have been integrated into one cohesive solution, and you have something that you can build, you know, large scale enterprise class apps uh, rather than, you know, figuring out these things as you as you discover the need for them. Yeah. A lot of developers really values what Angular offers out of the box, all these things you just mentioned. However, a few things within Angular may introduce a learning barrier for some people. For example, TypeScript was one of those barriers until it became widely adopted, so it is no longer a barrier today, which is good. Speaking about RxJS, so it is quite a barrier for some people, as you need to be familiar with RxJS reactive programming in order to use Angular. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, it comes to th things like uh, TypeScript, I think, is a no-brainer because types have been proven over and over again that it's a good idea, right? And what TypeScript is doing is that they're basically allowing you to name things in your application uh, in a consistent manner, right? So that you and your coworkers can talk about, you know, class X in, in the same exact vocabulary. If you don't have um, types, then like you might call it, you know, X and the other person might call it Y and then now you're confused and you have to do mental arithmetic, etc. So I think part of the value of TypeScript or type systems is that you just give a common uh, names to things and, you know, the second value is that you verify that they're fully consistent, Right. And the thing is, TypeScript can do that independently of the mental model or of your philosophy on how to build applications, right? So it is just a, you do your thing the way you've always done it. It's just now we provide you with like names for things. And so we believe that that's a better way of building stuff. That's in contrast to something like RxJS or Axios or any of those libraries you mentioned, because there they're actually saying, actually want you to actually change your behavior in terms of how you think about the problem, right? TypeScript doesn't force you to think about the problem differently. It says you think about it the way you want, which is give you names for things. Uh, these other libraries actually says, say, actually, you're thinking about the problem in a different way, and they're trying to convince you that their way of thinking about a problem is better. I think libraries like that will always come and go as we create better ways of doing it and realize that you know one size doesn't fit all and there's benefits to one versus the other. Whereas with TypeScript, it's kind of hard to argue that types are not useful, you know, because like you need to have names for things, you know, and when you build large scale apps, it's useful to have a common vocabulary. So I think that that's always a win. So I don't think those things uh, are the same. And I, they, I don't think it should be put in the same bucket. I think they're, they're separate things. I think the, the call we've made is that we believe TypeScript is the best way to mm -hmm. uh, build these languages. And I think the, uh, the ecosystem kind of came to appreciate that because at this point, just about everybody uses TypeScript, right? Uh, I don't think, I mean, there might be a few holdouts for historical reasons, but for the most part, all new projects are done in TypeScript because it's just so valuable. And again, I'm going to say like, it is because TypeScript doesn't dictate how you think about the problem, right? It merely allows you to better express yourself. So I think these kinds of barriers are different, right? Uh, there's a difference between something like TypeScript that you can reuse at any uh, future project versus something like RxJS that only really makes sense 
uh, in Angular. Well, uh, RxJS is a general purpose, but like NGRX would only make sense with an Angular, right? And so it is not as portable as a general purpose thing. So I think that, that kind of comes into play. Uh, I, yeah, it, it's a choice you have to make, and we made these particular choices, and I think we, we, we got it right. Can you see where Angular will be in a several years' time? Yeah, I think it's going to... Uh, I mean, it's super popular, right? Like, we have uh, millions of people using us, millions of people coming to visit our website. So I, I think uh, Angular is going to be here for a long time uh, to come. Uh, I think it will continue to be popular for enterprises that want to have mm-hmm. a ready-made solution which all the particular problems are solved for them so they don't have to come up with solutions themselves. I think anytime you have a large-scale application which where uh, the key thing you care about is developer ergonomics and how many people can write code together, and something like Angular is always going to be popular. So I, I see a very bright future for Angular and for many years to come. You know, all things come to an end eventually. I don't know what, what that's going to be, but um, given how popular Angular is, I don't see how it can be, you know, stop being popular overnight. It's going to take a long time. And I think the Angular team is adding new features. This, this, the problem that the Angular solves is going to be here and it's going to be here to stay. Uh, so as long as we keep adding features and adding new useful things, uh, I don't see the problem going away, and therefore I don't see a demand for such a framework that has batteries included going away either. There are a lot of cool things in Angular. Do you think some of those things might become an inspiration for the future browsers' APIs? Um, you know, I think my opinion on this particular topic has changed over, over years. Uh, I used to think that browsers should definitely take on all these useful APIs and just become something like Angular. I've now kind of came to realize is that many things about, for example, let's say you you pick a templating language. There's a huge amount in templating languages that has to do with like semantics of like, what exactly do you mean? When do you execute something? When do you do it? You know, in which order things get done. And because of that, there are subtle uh, implications about what you can and cannot do. And I feel like it would be a mistake for the browsers to start supporting them because in essence, what they would have to do is they would have to pick a particular set of semantics. And then who is to say that those are actually the same set of semantics? You know, I used to think when I was younger and more naive that like the, the set of semantics I picked for AngularJS were clearly the correct ones. You know, over the years, I kind of realized, no, actually, I made lots of mistakes. Uh, I messed up on a lot of things. And my opinions have continuously been evolving. Right? And I wish... I could say that, oh, I messed it up with AngularJS, but then I got it right in Angular. But that's not the case. Like, it's continuously evolving, and I'm continuously discovering new things. And so I think adding it to the browser would actually be a hindrance, because the moment you add it to the browser, it makes it super difficult to, to change these things. So I instead think that browsers should provide uh, primitives that frameworks can use and can build upon. And so the open source community can go and innovate and create new ideas and build new frameworks, build new templating syntaxes, and so on, and use the primitives of the browser to make it go fast. And I think that's what the browser should should stick to. And I think in general, I think most people also agree with this particular point of view. And the browsers have been kind of doing it, have been adding these kinds of primitives, and it's been working out rather well. I believe we covered a lot of details about Angular history. It seems like we are getting to the end of the show. However, there is one last thing that I know a lot of people are curious about. 
there was an announcement that Mishka live in Google just about to start his new adventure. I believe people in Angular community want to know more about that, and I am very curious as well. Would you mind sharing a bit more details? Absolutely. Um, you know, I am well aware that you know Angular and myself are very intertwined, uh, and so you know this is a decision that I really spent a lot of time thinking about. Um, you know, sixteen years is a super super long time at a single company, and out of that, I you know I've been. Uh, you know, I said in the tweet that I've been working on Angular 10 years, but really, like we discussed here, like the origin of it was even longer. So I think the the real time frame is more like 12 years on a particular uh, topic. So I think that is a long, long time, uh, you know, and after such a long time, you you just want to try different things. The, the thing about Angular, but first of all, I wanted to say that I absolutely love Angular. I love the teammates. I love who I work with. People are so passionate. I, I think one of the most striking thing about Angular is that just about everybody, as not just about everybody, absolutely everybody who works on Angular is there because they love it and because they actively seek to be part of the Angular team. You know, usually when you have projects, oftentimes you you know you, you get a whole bunch of new hires and you decide like, oh, the business needs a couple of people over here, so we're just going to send a bunch of the new hires in this direction. Angular is different in the sense that. Uh, everybody who's an Angular team really wanted to be part of the team and really asked to be part of the team. And it really shows in how passionate people are and how excited people are working on this particular topic and so on. Uh, so I think it, it's great. It's really an honor to be part of such awesome uh, sort of group of people, whether it's people who work, work directly at Google or the open source community. Uh, it's just uh, really, really fun. But, you know, as you can imagine, doing something for 12 years, you start to wonder, like, what else is there? Should I be doing this forever? And, you know, leaving something that you started and you worked on for so long is kind of like having kids. Like, there's never a good time. No matter how you try and think about it, like, there's just never a good time. And sometimes you just have to jump in and go ahead and do it. The thing that uh, intrigued me about Builder.io is, first of all, it's a very different kind of a job description, right? I'm going from a tech lead for, from a popular a project to a CTO of a company. You know, uh, you can think of it as a tech lead for a company, right? And it's a small company and uh, doesn't, you know, titles don't mean much at this point. But it is kind of a different direction. You are broadening the way you think about the problem rather than thinking about what's best for the project. You're really thinking about what's best for the company. And I think it is a, is a high time for me to kind of grow myself and push myself into uncomfortable positions and, and try to figure out like how to grow as an individual. And so that was part of the reason why it kind of looked interesting. The other part of the reason is that Builder.io is trying to solve a real world problem of how do you bring up applications as fast as possible? Uh, and they're trying to do it for, you know, their focus is e-commerce website, but it's a general problem of like, how do you bring up application fast enough possible? And if you look at most frameworks, uh, there's lots of benchmarks that talk about like how fast a framework is, but it turns out it doesn't really matter. Like it doesn't matter which framework your application has been written in. The site is plenty fast, right? It's very you know, when a site doesn't perform, it's usually something silly you've done rather than the reason that the framework isn't cooperating with you, right? And so while it's important to have a framework that is super fast, uh, I think the world has kind of been neglecting the whole problem of like, well, how do we just get it up and running quickly? And, you know, people know this from day one that uh, if the application takes a long time to start, people leave, people go somewhere else, right? People, you know, you're 
your uh, revenues are directly related to how quickly your stuff goes up. And so to me, it's a super interesting problem and something that I've been thinking about a lot. And so when uh, Builder.io came along, the opportunity to, to do both grow uh, in my career, but also work on this interesting problem, uh, I said, you know, why not? Uh, let's, let's dig deeper and let's find out more. And it was a super, super hard decision because as you can imagine, you know, Angular means a lot to me. It is a, a special place in my heart that I've worked on for arguably the longest out of anybody. <laughs> and, you know, to do something else, uh, you know, it requires a lot of conviction, a lot of belief that the other thing is also interested and in I can grow in, in ways that I couldn't have grown in, in this particular thing. So I like to joke that, you know, Angular is a bit of a teenager at this point. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's moving out from the house. Or rather, I'm moving out from the house. Uh, but I see a super bright future. And the people that work on Angular are super caring. They care about this particular problem. And they will focus on it for a long time to come. Um, the community is great. Google uses Angular both internally and also externally. So the demand for the framework is there. And so I think it's, it's got super, super bright future. I wish you all the best in your new adventure. Thank you for sharing the details with us today. And thank you for your hard work all these years. So it's now time to wrap up. My name is Alexey Kuncevich and this is Angular Rocks. See you in the next episode. <laughs>